Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. But as we move into this passage, again, we've spent a couple weeks, we took the first week, and we looked at the history, the culture, the, the setting, uh, the authorship, and kind of the overall themes of the book of Ephesians, and how it was written uh, you know, to the, to the church in Ephesus, and how it was most likely a circulating letter amongst the churches in Asia Minor at that time. Um, but you know, we, we looked at that and then looked at Paul, his authorship, his authority, and what it meant as he issued the greeting that he did at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, and as he does all of his writings and all of his letters to the churches. Then we moved last week and we looked at verses 3 through 6, and we talked about how Paul begins this in the original language. This is one continuous run-on sentence. It's a grammar and an English teacher's nightmare, but it's like Paul, under the inspiration and writing of, through the Holy Spirit, just got so carried away as he began to unpack what he had said, what he begins with in verse 3, where he talks about that in Christ Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then Paul, verse 3 to verse 4, makes this transition to where he begins to articulate what some of these spiritual blessings are. And we talked about how that oftentimes, most always, spiritual blessings will look different than monetary blessings or our idea of blessings because we think of monetary things, we think of physical things, we think of uh, you know, these, these healings, these financial breakthroughs, promotions, restoration and relationships, or as, as junior high Ben was, the, the prayer and the spiritual blessing that I was praying for is like, God, if you would just let her answer the phone when I call this time, and I'll never ask you for anything else ever again. Anybody ever make that promise? Like if, you know, if this one person you was just crushing on, man, if I could just, God, if you would just let that happen, and I'll never ask you for anything again. Our spiritual blessings in Christ are oftentimes different than what we define as blessings in our life. Now, it's not eliminating the fact that God blesses us financially, that God blesses us in our endeavors, in our work, in our crafts, in, in promotions, in things like that, in relationships. Listen, you all know me. You all know my wife. I married up, all right? There is no debating that whatsoever. She is a blessing from God. But oftentimes, blessings in a spiritual sense are going to look differently than what, they, what we consider to be physical blessings. And then we spend a little bit of time with a couple words that we often get hung up on whenever we uh, talk about in verse 4 that, we were, that He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And then we looked in verse 5 about the predestination to adoption in Christ Jesus. And we spent a little bit of time dealing with those and talking about kind of the framework of the two uh, main theologies of you know, Arminianism and Calvinism, but how we also really emphasize the point that those are not essential things. And that the essential thing that we needed to make sure that we were founded on is that 
God is sovereign over salvation. Whether we believe 100% predestination, 100% free will, we establish that the essential part is who authors salvation and who is sovereign in salvation in our lives. And we establish that as far as this house, it's God. That's, we, we stand unashamedly, unapologetically on the fact that there is nothing that we can do to qualify ourselves for salvation. There's nothing that we can do to be better, to be good enough, to do, check this box off the list, check that box off the list to where we can finally qualify for salvation, that it's through Christ and Him alone. Now this week, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 10, and that goes as follows. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for this opportunity once again this week uh, to be back together, to gather with brothers and sisters and in, in our community, and God, and be able to sing praises to you, to be able to come to you in prayer, and to be able to look in your word and, and draw from that um, encouragement, to draw from it comfort, to, uh, to be convicted by it, to be challenged by it. So, Father, I ask that at this time that you would open hearts and open minds and ears to receive your word today. And, God, I also pray that you would uh, speak through me. Holy Spirit, as I ask each week, I pray that you uh, remove as much of me as possible and use my voice to give utterance to your words. And let us learn and grow closer to Christ together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, yeah, I've got several stories about grocery stores when I was growing up, um, and, and I'm not going to, uh, to, to save myself for getting in trouble later on this afternoon when we go out to my mother's for Sunday afternoon dinner. I'm not going to share my most embarrassing moment in childhood as I recorded in a journal one time, which happened at a grocery store. But, you know, back in the day, we'll just term it that way, uh, coupons or coupons, or however you want to say it, were not found on an electronic device. You actually had to cut them out of like a newspaper or a magazine. And sometimes there were dedicated times at your house that it was dedicated for clipping coupons. And if you got in the way, have mercy on your soul, because you could lose a finger if you got in the way of cutting coupons, okay? But I remember one time going to the store, just being in this incredible hurry, um, and, you know, the self-checkout is, is so not convenient at all because you always have to wind up having help with it anyhow. But before the days of self-checkout, you had to, you know, search. It was like an art to be able to pick out that quickest line, not necessarily the shortest line, because then you had to start looking at the amount of things that people had in their buggies, you know, or carts, no matter whatever. I don't know what you all call them, shopping carts, buggies. Thomas, what do you call them in Northern Ireland? Trolley, trolleys. Sometimes it's just better not to ask, you know. <laughs> but anyhow, you um, you know, you you find this art 
And I was like in a really extreme hurry one day, and I was like, I found this. There was this one trolley that was there, and it had like nothing in it. Everything was on the belt. The, the lady was getting ready to pay for it. And then all of a sudden, it was kind of like this Excalibur, Lord of the Rings type move that she makes. And she like whips this War and Peace book of coupons out, like this binder of it. And she's like, I've got coupons for everything on her. And I'm like, oh, because it became, now see, it's here, here, here. The shortest line had now turned into the longest line. But the reason I tell the story about the coupons is that if, you ever, if you've ever done any couponing, you realize that there is some type of time frame or location or place or, or time, you know, at time of the day that it's redeemable at this location, at this time, at this place. And that's what we're going to focus on today as Paul begins to say, in him we have redemption. Now, I want to kind of connect the two because, again, this is one long thought that we're taking a few weeks to dissect here. I want us to go back to verse 6, just the end of verse 6, and I want us to look at who he's referring to here. The end of verse 6, he says, the beloved. Okay? Notice the beloved in that, and in most of your translations, that will be a capitalized B. The reason it's capitalized is he is referring to Jesus Christ here. I also made kind of a passing mention last week that in this, verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, we see all three portions of the Trinity described here. Paul takes a moment. We saw God the Father, His blessings, and the way that He blesses us last week in verses 3 through 6. Now, in this passage and in the next couple weeks to come, we're going to be looking at a passage that details the blessings from Jesus Christ. So we've gone from talking about last week, the blessings of God the Father. Now we're into the section of God, the blessings of God the Son. And at the end of this, we're going to see the blessings of God the Holy Spirit. So this is who he's referring to. He makes mention at the end of verse 6 of being blessings in the Beloved. And then he says, in Him. So that is Jesus Christ. So the works that we're talking about and the blessings we're talking about today are in Jesus Christ. We have redemption. Now, I kind of want to pause here and just give us a little bit of a background for this word redemption. It would have been taken from a Greek word that Roman citizens most definitely would have recognized and been very familiar with because it could also be translated ransomed. It, could also, it means a payment to set someone free. And typically, in the Roman culture, it, slavery was not an uncommon thing. There were varying degrees of slavery, and, and that's kind of weird to say, but there would be, you would be considered a slave or a servant to someone if you owed them money. Or it went all the way to the possession. So if you were in debt to someone, you became their servant, their slave in that culture. If you were a, seen as a possession, which happened back then too, you were considered their slave. This word means that there has been a payment made to set someone free. So what Paul is telling us here is that this blessing in Christ Jesus, there has been a payment made. There has been a ransom given. There has been redemption that's been fulfilled to set us free from bondage of sin and slavery. And we'll see that. Paul will articulate that later on in chapter 2 about us being set free from this bondage of slavery. 
Now, Paul was writing to a church and to churches that would have had both Jewish converts to Christianity and Gentile converts to Christianity. This would have been something that would have been really familiar to both of them, but in different ways. Because this word to the Gentile believers and the way that they were being taught after their conversion, they would have associated it more with the cultural understanding of this word redemption or ransomed. Because they would have seen it play out in their society of people being purchased with the sole purpose of setting them free. But now the Jewish believers, the Jewish converts to Christianity, and the way that the churches would have taught it, they would have used another example to teach this concept of being blessed by Christ ransoming us and, and redeeming us. And, and we'll talk about it in later detail in the message, but they would have used the Israelites' exodus from Egyptian bondage. They would have gone to the Old Testament. They would have gone to the, the Bible, the Word, the Scripture that they had at this point, and they would have looked at the example, the greatest example in the Old Testament of God's redemption, and that was the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. So we're going to look at a few questions. We're going to answer a few things here this morning from this passage of Scripture. And the first thing is, is what are we redeemed from? What are we redeemed from? And we are redeemed from sin. You are ransomed for sin. There has been a price paid for you to no longer be in the bondage of sin and under the curse of sin. We pause every week every week and we partake of communion which is a time of remembrance of Christ's blood being shed and his body being broken but folks if we and, and, and that's a biblical concept that we're staying true to but if it ever gets to the place that it becomes just something that we are doing we are losing the value of what we're what we're trying to remember as it's happening. This is about us being redeemed. This is about remembering the broken body, the shed blood. Whenever we pause to take that, our focus should totally be on the fact that His blood has ransomed us. In the Old Testament, we see constantly over and over and over again that there has to be a blood sacrifice that's made for this sin problem that man has. And each year, there was a sacrifice on this day of atonement that was done to wash away or to forgive the sins of the nation. But we stand in a place in time to where there was one sacrifice, one for all, and His name was Jesus Christ. And through His broken body, through His shed blood, we now have redemption for our sins. We now have had the price paid. That ransom that sin held on our lives no longer holds it any longer in Christ. So it's in Him we have redemption. The next question that I want to look at is, what, what was the price for redemption? And I kind of just talked about that a little bit, but it's His blood. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Folks, there was a very, very high price paid for us to be able to go freely into the presence of God and receive redemption. 
And I think sometimes we take that for granted because really if we look at the price that we have to pay, it's pretty laughable as compared to what Jesus Christ had to pay. And if I'm being honest, the price that we have to pay now is pretty laughable compared to what other Christians in other parts of the world have to pay in order to serve Jesus Christ. But it's through His blood. So we are redeemed from sin. Redemption costs something, and that was the blood of Jesus Christ. And now what are we redeemed to? What are we redeemed to? We're redeemed for the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now make no mistake, while they're similar words, while redemption and forgiveness are similar, don't, don't fall into the trap of thinking that they're the exact same thing. Because redemption means that the price has been paid, that it's available, that you qualify for it, that the invitation is open. But the forgiveness is a totally different thing. That's something that when it's extended to us there is an obligation, there is this commandment, there is this factor of obedience that we must step into and receive that forgiveness that Christ has already obtained for us. In Leviticus chapter 16, and, and again, riveting reading in the book of Leviticus. All right? And if somebody, I, I, I heard somebody say earlier this week as I was reading and kind of preparing for this, their kind of pinnacle for uh, giving an example that you can't do anything to earn your way into heaven. They said the closest they think that we can come to that is actually reading the book of Leviticus and enjoying it. They said that they think that's what qualifies us the closest for it. But in Leviticus 16, we see the concept of a scapegoat. Which, to, to spare you a lot of details, there had to be a blood sacrifice. There had to be something to take away, not only to pay the price for the sin, but also to take away the sin. So one, one goat, one lamb, would be offered as the sacrifice. The other would ceremonially and symbolically have all of the sins that had just been paid for by the blood of that sacrifice. It would have that sin placed on it, and they would shoo it off. You know, maybe to that magical farm where all of my animals went when I was a kid. <laughs> Anybody else have that farm? Are you all okay? I mean, I understand my jokes are bad. I get it. Thank you. Somebody's listening and appreciates it. But Leviticus 16 talks about that there has to be this, this penalty that's paid, this price that's paid, and then the sin has to be done something with. And the book of Psalm tells us that he cast it as far as the east is from the west. And then we see, as we move on here, that he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven, and things on earth. Folks, the redemption, the blessing of that, that's for our ransom. It's for the opportunity that we can be forgiven. And that it's not only just enough to cover the sins, and then us have to come back constantly. We're redeemed to something. We're redeemed for something. 
And that's unity. That's revelation. That's understanding. When Paul talks about the mystery here, he's not talking about something that can never be understood, but he's talking about something that is of great value that the one who holds the knowledge wants to impart on those who are seeking him. And this is with in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about you. Let me say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about you. Now, does it affect you? Absolutely it does. Is it the greatest thing that could ever happen to you? Absolutely it is. But make no mistake about it. This life, this Christian life we're living is not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's about bringing glory to Him, about magnifying Him, about honoring Him, about spreading the good news of the gospel. It's about bringing glory and honor and majesty and making great the name of God and God alone. It's, it's not about us prospering in everything that we do. It's not about us having, uh, you know, having your best life now, having this now, having that now, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, whatever you want to call it. It's not about those things. It's about a pursuit of Jesus Christ and Him crucified as a ransom, as a redeemer, as a forgiver, as a restorer in our life. Now, does God bless us beyond these things? And with some of these things that we talked about, absolutely He does. But the Christian life is not about us. It's about God. I told you that really the, the Old Testament reference to this is the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And, and, and we can see that as we detail it. And I kind of want us to, to take a moment and just look because we, we, we have this tendency that we can look back on the Israelites and we can see all of their folly, we can see all of their wondering, we can see everything that, that happened to them, and we can look and go, silly Israelites. It's kind of the same with the Pharisees in the New Testament. We can look and we can see all of their atrociousness in that, and we can look at them and go, stinking Pharisees. But if we begin to look and honestly take a look at those biblical accounts and then start comparing them to our lives? Church, can I tell you that we are not much different than the Israelites? And here's why. In Egyptian bondage, while they were there, the, 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 the plagues came upon Egypt. And the final announcement was the plague of the firstborn. Okay, that, that God was going to come, that the, that the angel was going to come, uh, and, and it's been you know, the angel, the death angel, the destroyer in one of them. I kind of like that one. That just has a cooler ring to it. But it says that any household in the land of Egypt that did not have the sacrificial blood applied to its, its doorframe, that the plague of the firstborn was going to hit not only livestock but children as well. So the, the Israelites were instructed to, put, to make the sacrifice, to put the blood as a sign on their, door, on their door seal. So the angel would go past, and they would pass over that residence. 
So when that happened, they were eventually led out of Egyptian bondage, and they went, and what should have been in between probably a two to three week at the most journey from Egypt to the land that God had promised them, because that's why he brought them out. He chose the nation of Israel, and he had a plan for them to inhabit a land. And it wasn't just so they could be benefited as a nation. The promised land wasn't just to benefit them. God chose Israel so that they could be a blessing to all the other nations. He chose Israel so that they could be a beacon of light as to what serving God would look like. And that was the purpose of him choosing the nation and the purpose of him giving the promised land to them. And what should have been a two to three week journey turned into a 40 year wandering. And we can look at this 40 years and we can go, oh, we would have learned the lessons from that. I mean, because, oh, we wouldn't have grumbled like that. We wouldn't have bickered like that. We wouldn't have complained. I mean, my goodness, why, why did they have to complain about God was giving them food every day, manna, fresh, six days a week. You know, their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. Their health was perfect. Why? Why? What would they have to complain about? If you have that mindset, let me ask you the question. How many of your daily blessings that God has given you that you do not deserve, do you look over and almost consider them something you're entitled to all the while beginning to complain about the things that you don't have or that you should have more of or that you want better of or this person's got that and I don't have it. They, they're not a better person than me. I just make no mistake about it. Listen, we, people work. People work hard. And I get that. And I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate earning. I appreciate taking care of things. But at the end of the day, the reason that I'm able to stand up here and give utterance to God's Word as a calling is not because of anything that Ben James has done or qualified himself to do. It is a gifting and a calling directly from God. And it's by that I do what I do. Whatever you do with the work of your hands to provide, whatever that brings things in, you may do them, the physical act of it, but you can do them because God has enabled you to do that. So then they get into this place and they spend 40 years until a generation dies off and then, then there's a new leader that's, that's, that God raises up and his name is Joshua and God takes them into the promised land, and they, you know, we start seeing the, um, the, you know, what happens with the nation of Israel as they get into the promised land. Did you know that there was actually three of the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel that decided not to go into the promised land? And, and, I, and I'm going somewhere with this, so just track with me for a moment. Three, so that meant that nine went in and inhabited God required all of them. God said, listen, you can do what you want with it after it, but you're going to go in and you're going to help take the land. And then when it's done, you can go back into the wilderness and you can settle on that side of the Jordan River. That's fine. But there were three, three tribes that decided that what God has promised is not any better than what I already have. What God is asking me to do, where he's asking me to go, is no way that that's possibly better, than me, better for me than where I already am. When we see Paul talking about redemption in this passage, when he says, in him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, 
which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Where you're at, what you're doing, the family that you have, the job that you have, the community that you're in, there is a purpose for it. And like we said last week, God has thought about these things. He had you, He chose you, He had you on His mind before the beginning, before the foundation of the world. So here's my question to us. The practical outplaying of it this morning is that there is given an indication here that this redemption, when Christ sets us free from that bondage, when He sets us free from the jail cell of sin, He not only opens the door and lets us out, but He actually rips the door off of the hinges. So if you find yourself in here this morning still enslaved to, to sin, still in bondage to sin, still in sin's grasp, understand something that you are sitting in a jail cell of your own choice because the door has been ripped off of it through the redemption and the forgiveness and the restoration of Jesus Christ. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, does that mean that we're not going to struggle with things? No, that doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with things. But if we find ourselves enslaved still yet to sin, even though Christ has redeemed us and forgiven us, then what we're doing is we have taken up with the three tribes of Israel that said, whatever God had planned for me, I don't want it because I'm comfortable here. And so many times in our lives, the things that we like to gripe and complain about the most that keep us from God are the things that we are the best friends with. Okay, let me explain. Gossiping, tail-bearing, backbiting, stabbing others in the back. If you're engaging in those, guess what? That's not of Jesus Christ. These things, these sins that Paul talks about that so easily beset us, that so easily weigh us down, if we look at it through, a, through the lens of Christ and His redemption and forgiveness that He has offered for us, it's imprisonment of our own making and of our own decision. So if there's things in your life this morning that are habitually holding you back from Christ and you're, you're in relationship with Him and you are in Christ, understand that He has redeemed you from that. You see, the, the, the problem that I have is that the, the jail cells of sin that I like to set in in my life, I've gotten really comfortable in them. And it causes me discomfort if Christ calls me to something else. If I need to be something else. If He's calling me to lay this aside and I've made that a part of my identity for so many years, then I like to find myself in this place to where, hey, I'm comfortable here. I've kind of decorated in this place. It kind of looks nice. At the same time, I'm going to gripe about being in a jail cell. But yet I'm sitting in a jail cell that the doors have been flung wide open and there is no, nothing holding me back from walking out into the freedom 
of redemption and into the plan and purpose that Jesus Christ has for my life. I'd like to ask the praise team if they would to, to come back up this morning. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and on earth. The work that Jesus Christ has done ultimately is a work of unity. We see in John chapter 17, we see the, the priestly prayer that Jesus prays to God and there's different facets to it but whenever he's praying for his church believers for his people he makes the statement that God I pray that they would be one as you and I are one 